Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. The story of Solomon shows us that sinful behavior can spoil the legacy we worked hard to build up, yet we all sin. There's only one way to avoid having our legacy tarnished by our behavior. Senior Pastor Rob O'Neill talks about this in his sermon, What Can Spoil Our Legacy? Let's listen now. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we confess to you today that your word is true. And we ask, Father, now that through your word you would search our hearts and show us the truth about ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we're asking the question, what can spoil our legacies? A legacy, we are defining, we know a legacy is that which we leave behind after our lives. The things that we leave behind are sometimes tangible legacies, things like possessions or money. But frequently, the legacy that we leave behind is intangible. It's something you can't touch, like values or encouragement or faith. Here at Valley, as we talk about legacy, we think about impacting the world for Christ. That's the legacy that we hope to have. And so our definition then for legacy is the long-lasting impact of our lives. Our legacy is the long-lasting impact of our lives, hopefully for Christ. Now, for the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about legacies. Two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that we want to start our legacies out the right way. And then last week, Pastor Brandon talked about the fact that in the middle, we want to build our legacies the right way. So if you missed either of those two messages, you can go back online and get copies of them and watch them. I would encourage you to do so. But if we are starting and building our legacies the right way, then we want to ask as well, what can spoil our legacy? Because we don't want to spoil our legacy. I learned a little something about what spoils legacies decades ago through an experience I had at my dentist. Now, I grew up in the era where there was fluoride in the water. And so the enamel on my teeth growing up was really strong. And so consequently, I had few to no problems with my teeth growing up. I I had great teeth growing up. And then as a young adult, I was going to the dentist, and there was no sign of problem on the outside, no hole, no trouble, everything looked good, but my dentist kept saying, something looks wrong with your x-rays. We're going to watch your x-rays. There was something in my rear molars. Finally, after watching it a couple of times, he said, I'm just convinced there's something inside going on. We're going to open up one of these. I think there's a cavity in there, and we're going to fill it. And so he opened up one of my molars, and it turns out there was a massive cavity hiding underneath. And upon further examination, he realized that all eight of my rear molars had cavities inside that needed to be filled. And it reminds us that sometimes, even though everything looks good on the outside, There can be decay underneath, and when there's decay underneath, we're setting ourselves up for a big problem. And so as we ask about what can spoil our legacies, we recognize that decay underneath can undermine and spoil our legacies. 
And so as we look at the life of King Solomon today, what we're going to find is that underneath the veneer of everything looking good in his life, there was decay underneath. What we find is that Solomon had two minds being pulled in two different directions. Solomon was double-minded. The Lord had given him great wisdom as a gift, and Solomon at times refused to follow that wisdom. The Lord gave Israel as a kingdom to rule, and Solomon ruled it like a multinational empire. Solomon recognized that the Lord is the true king of Israel, and he demonstrated this when he built the temple by building inside of the temple the Holy of Holies, which in many ways is a throne room on earth for God. We're going to show you a picture that gives you an artist's representation, an artist's estimation of what that throne room may have looked like. This picture will demonstrate that in some ways, Solomon thought that God was indeed the true king of Israel. But then after building a throne room for God, Solomon built a throne room for himself, a larger, grander throne room. And it begs the question, who did Solomon think the real king and power in Israel was? We're going to show you another artist's representation, and I think the splendor answers that question. Solomon, you see, was pulled to trust in the Lord with all of his heart, to lean not on his own understanding, and Solomon was pulled toward following the desires of his own heart. Solomon, you see, was double-minded all the way. Now, Solomon's double-mindedness caught up with him toward the end of his life. We're going to read about it in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 10, where, where we read, now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. And so what we discover here in these verses is that Solomon had a lifelong problem with women. 
The very first person he married was a foreign wife, the daughter of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, the Lord had told the children of Israel not to marry foreign wives. Moses had come along and specifically reinforced that command by God. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 and 4, we read how Moses said, You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. And yet we discover that the daughter of Pharaoh was not the last foreign wife for Solomon. He married 700 women, many of them foreign. And in addition to the 700 wives he had, he had 300 concubines, meaning that Solomon lived a lifestyle of lust and adultery even in these so-called marriages. And so we find Solomon being pulled toward the ways of the Lord. He wants to follow the ways and the statutes of the Lord. But at the same time, Solomon wants what Solomon wants in all of these women. Solomon was double-minded. Solomon's problem with women led to a problem with idolatry. Because you see, Solomon allowed these foreign wives as they came into his life to keep the gods that they had worshipped in their homelands. He allowed them to worship, for instance, Ashtoreth, who was the consort of the Canaanite god Baal, who was Israel's old addiction, he allowed them as well to continue worshiping Molech, whose worship is associated with human trafficking and human sacrifice of children. The worship of the god Molech is considered to be a low point for the people of Israel. And what we discover is not only did Solomon allow his wives to continue worshiping these foreign gods when they came to Israel, but in his old age, Solomon, it seems, joined them in the worship of these foreign gods, these false gods. And so what we find is Solomon's being drawn to the worship of the Lord, the God of Israel, and he's being drawn to the worship of these foreign gods. Solomon is double-minded. Now, Solomon's private idolatry led to very public problems because, you see, we find that at least in two cases, Solomon did not simply worship these gods in private, but we find that Solomon built very public shrines to at least two of these gods on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And with these public shrines and the blessing of the king, the people of Israel followed his example. And so we find that Solomon is torn. On the one hand, he wants to lead his people to the God of Israel. And on the other hand, he is leading his people to the foreign gods. Solomon is double-minded. Now, in this double-mindedness of Solomon's, we find him being very much like the ancient Roman god Janus. Janus is the Roman god from which we get the name of the first month of the year, January. Janus is associated with entrances, with thresholds, with transitions. And so Janus in ancient Roman mythology was the patron of change and, and of progress in the world, of transition in the world. And that's why he is portrayed with two faces, one facing forward and one facing backward. And that's why he is the god associated with the month of January, a month that faces forward to a new year, but faces 
faces backward, remembering an old year. And just like the ancient Roman god Janus, who is facing in two different directions, who has two different minds being pulled in two different ways, Solomon is always being pulled in two different directions. He's being pulled toward the Lord, and he's being pulled toward his own will and toward his own ways. Solomon was double-minded, just like the ancient Roman god Janus. And what we find is that Solomon's sin ruined, it spoiled his legacy. Solomon actually began to doubt his own activity and the value of his own legacy during his lifetime. In the Old Testament, Solomon is almost certainly the author of the book of Ecclesiastes, which represents his reflection later in life, thinking about his conduct and the value of his own legacy. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2, we read him passing judgment on his own double-mindedness. He says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanity. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? And reflecting specifically on his pursuit of pleasure in life, in his pursuit of great wealth, in his pursuit of great luxury and great power and and a physical pleasure. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 11 Solomon reflects on it and says, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So even in his lifetime, Solomon was reflecting on this double-mindedness that he had and on this pursuit that he had spent so much of his life chasing after, and he called it a vanity. In 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 11 and through 13, we read the Lord passing judgment. We've heard the Lord already. We've heard in verses 9 and 10 what the Lord's estimation of Solomon's activity was. But in verses 11 through 13, we read God's resulting judgment on Solomon. It happens in a vision that that Solomon has. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of your hand, out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David my servant and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. And so we see God passing judgment here on Solomon. And he says to him, first of all, an accusation. I commanded you to keep my laws and statutes single-mindedly, to follow me, and yet you've not done it. You have instead disobeyed me. And so the judgment comes. What are the consequences? God says, I am going to take the kingdom out of your hand. I will rip it away from you as a result. But even in the midst of judgment, there is a note of mercy and grace. God says, for the love of David, my servant, I'm going to do two things. One, I will not take the kingdom from you during your lifetime. 
It's going to happen instead during the lifetime of your son. And secondly, I'm not going to take it all away. I'm going to leave one tribe for your son and one tribe for Jerusalem, the city that I've chosen for myself. And so even in the midst of consequences, God is giving mercy and grace. But what we find is from that point forward, Solomon's legacy was spoiled. Even during his lifetime, consequences began to mount. Two foreigners rose up to oppose Solomon and became problems for him. But the biggest problem for Solomon came from inside of Israel itself. One of his servants, Jeroboam, rose in prominence. And after Jeroboam began to rise in prominence, God sent a prophet to meet with Jeroboam. And this prophet gave Jeroboam a message. And the message was, I am going to take away 10 tribes from Israel. I'm going to take them from the house of David and give them to you, and you're going to be king. Solomon heard about the message that Jeroboam received, and he tried to kill him as a result to get rid of the problems and the opposition. And Jeroboam fled to Egypt where he stayed for the rest of Solomon's life safely, biding his time for what God would do. Even during Solomon's lifetime, consequences began to mount. But the consequences of Solomon's spoiled legacy really came to light after Solomon's death. Now to us, we know what Solomon's legacy is. His great wisdom comes down to us in at least two books of the Old Testament that he wrote and shared his great wisdom with us in. And to us, his wisdom is part of his legacy, as is the temple that he built in Jerusalem. The temple is part of his legacy. That's Solomon's legacy in our minds. But in the days immediately following his lifetime, Solomon's legacy was very different To the people of Israel, Solomon's legacy was high taxation, burdensome regulations of empire, and a system of forced labor. When the people of Israel thought of Solomon's legacy, that's what they thought of. And as soon as Solomon was dead, his son Rehoboam became king of Israel, and the people of Israel went to the new king and asked him to relieve this onerous burden of taxes and regulations and forced labor. When Rehoboam refused, the 10 tribes of Israel left the kingdom of David, and the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah were separated from one another. And so Solomon's legacy is a divided kingdom as well. And Solomon is the one who reintroduced to the public life of Israel the worship of foreign gods. And from Solomon's lifetime forward, we will always find Israel and Judah divided between the worship of the Lord their God and the worship of foreign idols. The worship of idols is also part of the legacy of Solomon. You see, sin spoiled Solomon's legacy. But this is where we come to a truth that's important for us to understand. And that truth is, sin can spoil our legacies, but genuine repentance can renew them. Sin can spoil our legacies, but genuine repentance can renew them. Now, we recognize that sin can spoil any legacy. In fact, when we think about it, double-mindedness as we start and build a legacy is always going to be legacy-spoiling. But there are times that some of us appear on the outside to be single-minded in our devotion to God. 
and single-minded in our pursuit of impacting the world for Christ. That's what we look like on the outside. But for us, double-mindedness may mean that while that's what we see on the outside, something different is going on on the inside. Something else is going on in the heart. And while we seem to be single-minded in our pursuit of our legacy and of impacting the world for Christ on the outside, secretly, we're actually chasing after building our own kingdoms and our own thoughts about legacy. And for us, double-mindedness then becomes a decay that is rotting away at us from the inside like a cavity rotting away the inside of a tooth. Double-mindedness is the sin that can spoil a legacy. But as we look at the example of Solomon's father, King David, the great king of Israel, we see how sin can happen in a life But sin doesn't have to be the final word on us. Genuine repentance can lead to a renewal of our legacy. Because as we look at David, we find a man who sinned grievously. King David committed adultery, and then he participated in murder in order to cover up his adultery. Sin was a big part of David's life. David sinned grievously. But when David was confronted with his sin... David repented of that sin. Psalm 51 is a psalm that David himself wrote when he was confronted with his sin of adultery and participating in murder. And in Psalm 51, verse 1, David admits his sin. He repents of it before God, and he writes, "'Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions.'" But not only does David simply admit the sin that he's committed, but he asks God to take that sin away from him, to forgive him, to rip out this deeply rooted thing in his life, and in place of a double-minded heart, to give him a heart of single-minded devotion to the Lord, a new heart. He writes in Psalm 51, verse 10, "'Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And David's repentance began to renew his own legacy. Repentance, you see, is the pathway to grace. Repentance opens up a pathway to grace for us. After King Solomon built the temple for God in Jerusalem, there was a great feast to dedicate the temple. And at the end of the feast, the Lord appeared to God in a vi- the Lord appeared to Solomon again in a vision. And in that vision, he promised that the temple would be a place that when God's people repented, God would forgive them and heal them. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, we read: If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. You see, in Jesus Christ, we have opened to us a pathway to grace when we repent. Because of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, We have the possibility of being fully forgiven and experiencing grace and renewal in our lives. 
Now, repentance in our lives doesn't take away the human consequences of our sin. It didn't for King David. King David experienced immediate consequences because of his sin, and those consequences lasted his entire lifetime. And if we sin in legacy-spoiling kinds of ways, we may experience consequences in our lives here and now that do not go away because of repentance. But genuine repentance creates the opportunity for our legacies to begin being renewed. Because you see, David, having repented genuinely, sees his own legacy and his own personhood renewed. God truly does forgive him. And at the end of his life, as the verdict is written about King David, it is said that David was a man who loved the Lord and walked with him with single-minded devotion all of his lifetime. Genuine repentance renewed David's legacy, and God found David to be a man after his own heart, one on whom he would build a house that would rule over God's people forever. Genuine repentance can begin to renew our legacies as well. Because you see, genuine repentance says about us that our sin is not the final word in our lives. Instead, genuine repentance in our lives puts an asterisk next to the sin in our lives, and that asterisk goes to a note that says, yes, but, yes, but, yes, that sin is there, but that is not the final word on this person. This person is a redeemed, forgiven child of God, and when we repent genuinely, our person and our lives and our legacies begin to genuinely be renewed. And so how then do we deal with our legacy-spoiling sins? How do we deal with our legacy-spoiling sins? First, we repent and turn to Jesus. Because you see, this is the first step to legacy in the first place. If we are not followers of Jesus, it is nearly impossible to consider impacting the world for Christ in a way that matters. And so if we are to leave behind a legacy that's worthwhile, it begins with repenting and turning to Jesus Christ in faith. But not only that, our decision about whether to follow Jesus Christ or not is the most consequential decision we ever make in life. The, the, the cost is the difference between eternity in heaven and eternity in hell. Without Jesus Christ in our lives, our future is eternal death, separated from God in conscious punishment in hell. What legacy can we leave behind that overcomes that? That eternity for us becomes our legacy. We must repent and turn to Jesus Christ for there to be a legacy in life that matters for us. Beyond that, if we've not yet turned to Jesus Christ in faith, we recognize the fact that legacy-spoiling sins are an almost given in our lives. Without Jesus Christ, of course we're going to sin in legacy-spoiling kinds of ways. And so how do we deal with legacy-spoiling sins? We begin by repenting and turning to Jesus. Secondly, we repent of our double-mindedness. We repent of our double-mindedness. You see, many of us go through life with this kind of double-mindedness that Solomon went through his life with. And as we think about this concept of double-mindedness, healing this, we recognize is not only the way to deal with our legacy-spoiling sins when they happen, 
but it's the way to prevent those legacy-spoiling sins in the first place. Because you see, the double-mindedness that we have, the ways that we are pulled toward God and pulled toward ourselves, we're pulled toward God, we're pulled toward the world, we're pulled toward God, and we're pulled toward everything else in life, puts down a deep root into our souls that damages us from the inside. We become Janus-like, being pulled toward God with one face and pulled toward our own goals with our other face, pulled toward a legacy where we impact the world for Christ and pulled toward working too hard and building the wrong kinds of things and hoarding for ourselves and living in fear and chasing after our own pleasures alone. And Janice-like, we begin living the Solomon life where we are double-mindedly being pulled in one direction toward God and the other direction toward our own ends in life. And getting to the bottom of that root, pulling that sin root out of our hearts, repenting is the secret not only to dealing with our legacy-spoiling sins, but to preventing them in the first place. Having repented of our double-mindedness, we affirm that Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives. And because Jesus is Lord, we choose his will, his plan, and we build for his kingdom, not ours. So we repent of our double-mindedness. Third, we repent of our sin. We repent of our sin. Because you see, when we commit legacy-spoiling sins, the first thing that we want to do is repent genuinely of that sin, turn to God, ask for forgiveness, and begin the process of renewal in our lives. But we repent not simply of the legacy-spoiling sins in life. You see, those are the headline sins in our lives. But we repent not only of them, but of all of our sin. Because you see, all of the sin in our lives is lurking underneath the surface. The surface may look good. The surface may look strong and beautiful, but sin lurking underneath the surface is causing damage and decay in our hearts. And unrepented of sin continues to cause damage and decay in our lives. And left unattended, that sin lurking under the surface can cause our lives to crumble like a tooth with a too large cavity at the center. And so we repent of all the sin in our lives that we might experience forgiveness and new life and the renewal of our pathway and our loyalty to Christ. It's not too late to repent until it is. It's not too late to repent and turn to Jesus. It's not too late to repent of our double-mindedness. It's not too late to repent of our sin, these things that spoil our legacies. It's not too late to repent. 
until it is. And if you're here and listening today, it's not too late yet. Repent. Do it today. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.